Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is Podcast 1064. The year was 931 B.C. Solomon died. The wisest man who ever lived went the way of all the earth, just as his father, David, a man after God's own heart. Surely this is a lesson to us to begin with in this podcast. The scripture is so accurate in every aspect of life and death. The Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die, and after that judgment. And save the mysterion, the mystery of the rapture of the church, the great catching away, all will die. And so the Bible says that Solomon died. When he did, his young son Rehoboam came to power. Now that's what we call him, Rehoboam. He had an adversary, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Now, there are several Jeroboams in the Bible, two that are very prominent. But this is Jeroboam, son of Nebat. He always has that epitaph, and the reason is there is another sentence that goes with Jeroboam's epitaph, son of Nebat, the one who caused Israel to sin. Now, what I want to do is take just a few moments and talk to you about how Solomon got into trouble, how Jeroboam got into trouble. These were two men of God that had some of the greatest promise of any individuals anywhere on earth at any time in history, and yet they blew it. And God, in his great mercy, rescued one. The other went his way and did not repent. And he is forever remembered as the man who caused Israel to sin. Now, the story starts in chapter 11 of 1 Kings. This is the period called the divided kingdom. And the reason it's called that is because after the united monarchy, that period of three reigns of 40 years or 120 years, the kingdom split in two. And ten tribes bolted north under Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who caused Israel to sin. Only Judah stayed loyal to the house of David. And you will see that all the way through the rest of the Old Testament. And so the story starts back in 1 Kings chapter 11. You see, Solomon had so much going for him. God gave him wisdom. And besides the wisdom that Solomon asked for as a humble young man, God gave him riches. God gave him power. God gave him authority. God gave him control. And Solomon unwisely, foolishly, let women steal his heart away. And he gave in to the tempter, and his kingdom eventually was lost. God, in his mercy, spared David because he promised him that he would build him a kingdom that would last forever. And when God makes a promise, he fulfills it. Time eventually will record the faithfulness of God Almighty. 
And so when we come to chapter 11 and verse 26, it says, Then Solomon's servant Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the Ephraimite from Zeradah, whose mother was named Zeruah, a widow, also rebelled against the king. Now, this is how it all started. And this is what caused him to rebel against King Solomon. Solomon had built Milo and repaired the damages to the city of David, his father. The man, Jeroboam, was a mighty man of valor, and Solomon, seeing this young man was industrious, he made him officer, that is, a foreman, a supervisor, over all the labor force of the house of Joseph. Now, the house of Joseph is a major house. You put the land together of Manasseh, the half-tribe on the eastern side, where is modern-day Jordan, which would have been Gilead and the land of Moab south of that, the land of Edom south of that, the land of Bashan north of that. And so you have the half-tribe of Manasseh on one side of the Jordan, the eastern side, and then the other half on the other side, which includes all the area around Megiddo and what is the Manasseh forest today. Many of you have been through there. Then you add Ephraim, Ephraim, which is where Shiloh is and where all of that beautiful land of Samaria is, those beautiful hills and that patriarchal highway. You put those two together and it is the greatest landmass of all the tribes. And all of that was blessed because of Joseph's faithfulness. Now, this is important because Solomon saw this man was someone that could help him. And so he placed him in a strategic position of leadership. Now, it happened. This is verse 29. Now, it happened at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah the Shelonite, met him on the way, and he had clothed himself with a new garment, and the two were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it in twelve pieces, and he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. And so Ahijah went on to say why God was doing this. And it was because Solomon had built all of the shrines and altars to the Canaanite gods of Chemosh and to Baal, to all of these different masters and goddesses, the gods of the Sidonians and the Moabites, and all of these various gods of these women who had stolen his heart. So God said, I'm going to punish Solomon. If you'll notice in verse 40, it says, Therefore Solomon sought to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was there in Egypt until the death of Solomon. Now, as you read through this chapter, chapter 11, you're going to see that God said, I'm going to take this away from Solomon, this land. I'm going to take away the biggest part of his kingdom, but I'm going to be faithful to David, my servant. 
and I will not allow the kingdom to be taken away from David forever. Now, that's instructive for us in the podcast to come, and I want you to remember this, because this is important for the people of Israel. The people of Israel were given the land, and it is an eternal possession for the Jewish people. God said, I will not allow you to enjoy the land and live in the land if you're going to rebel against me and you're not going to obey me and you're going to walk like the rest of the world. Then you're not going to have the blessing of living in the land. And if you're there, you're going to have trouble constantly. And so this is actually what God was saying in chapter 11. He said in verse 39, He says, and I will afflict the descendants of David because of this, but not forever. And this is important for the New Testament revelation that we have, not the book of Revelation, but the revelation of the New Testament. God did not take his favor away from Israel forever. God is not finished with Israel. God has a plan for Israel still now and for the future. And God will not do away with his eternal covenant promises to Abraham and David because of the disobedience of the present or future people. God made a covenant that was based on his word, not upon the obedience of the people. Now, this is important because if God changes his word that he promised to Abraham and David because of disobedience, either of David or Abraham, or of their descendants, then if we follow through with the biblical principles of hermeneutics, then why wouldn't God do that with us when we disobey? No, God's promises are forever. And when we repented of our sin and we placed our trust and our faith in the Lord Jesus as our Savior, we might walk in disobedience, but God will not take his love from us. He will discipline us. He will chastise us, but God will not take his love away from us. God will not take his mercy away from us. He will not take his grace away from us because we are his children. We are no longer in a relationship if justification means anything for my reformed brethren. If justification means anything, it means that we are in a new standing with God, not based upon works of righteousness, which we have done, but because of trust in God. And if a person goes astray, God will deal with them and God will chastise us, anyone else, and he will do what only he can do. But he is God and he will do what he promised he will do. And there is a sin unto death. God's not going to let us live carnally forever. God will not let us live in rebellion forever. God will deal with us as children because he is a father, not a grandfather. He's never presented as a grandfather who would let you do whatever you wanted to do. God is a God of love and mercy and grace, but he's a God of justice and righteousness. And he is a God of obedience and he wants us to obey. And so I'm telling you that just for the future when we get into the New Testament especially, and we start dealing with some of these doctrinal aspects. Because God has been the same. He never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
and his dealings with his children are the same. God is not finished with Israel. If that's true, tear out a third of the Bible because you've made it all spiritualized and allegorized, so it means nothing. Just let it mean whatever you want it to mean. But if we're going to follow good hermeneutical methods and be consistent, then we're going to have to trust God that God can deal with people. God dealt with Solomon. God dealt with David. God dealt with Jeroboam. Jeroboam did not enter into a covenant with God. God told him what he would do, but it was based upon Jeroboam's repentance and acceptance of the covenant, but he never did. There's no record in this chapter or any other that Jeroboam said, thank you, God, I will do that, and I now place my life in your... No, he did not do anything like that. He did not show any kind of gratitude And Solomon became jealous, and he became rebellious and more so in his heart, and he tried to kill the one that he felt like would be his rival because obviously it got back to Solomon because of what we read in chapter 11 all the way through verse 40. And when Solomon died, then the kingdom split in two. How? Because Rehoboam came to power. You can read about it in chapter 12, and you can read about the aftermath of that in chapter 13 and following. Because what happened was Rehoboam came to power. And so he sought counsel from the wise men that had tried to lead Solomon in the right way, but Solomon wouldn't pay any attention. And his son did the same thing. The genetic code was there, and he gave in to it. Because after he heard the counsel of the wise elders of the land, he went to his young friends. We call that an echo chamber. And the Bible is specific. Read it. We don't have time to do all that right now. But read these chapters and you'll see that he went to his friends that had grown up in the palace with him. In other words, they were spoiled brats. They were people who had gotten their own way, who were living with a golden spoon in their mouth, far past silver. These were all friends. His older people said, look, your dad was a great man, but he was hard to get along with, and he was a hard taskmaster. If you'll ease up on these people and you'll go out and speak gently to them, they'll follow you just as they did Solomon and David before him. And so he said, okay, I'll take that into account. And then he went and talked with his friends, and they said, oh, no, no. No, those are golden oldies. They don't know what they're talking about. I mean, they're old. We're in the in crowd now. And so let us tell you what to do. You're going to have to control these people because they're a bit rebellious people. All you have to do is read the chronicle of all that Moses wrote. I mean, these people are rebellious. You're going to have to show them who's in control. So what you need to do is you need to get out there and say, look, you think my dad was hard on you? Why? You think he was heavy-handed? My little finger will be thicker than his waist. And that's exactly what he did. He rejected the counsel of the old wise men, and he went with the echo chamber of his fellows. And because of that, the people said, we're going to listen to Jeroboam because Jeroboam said, hey, no longer will we follow the tribe of Judah. They're in it for themselves. Look at what they make themselves. Fat cats, they make laws for others, but not for themselves. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's human nature. And so it caused rebellion, and the kingdom was divided. It'll divide any kingdom in ancient times, future times, or presently. This is dividing America right now. This is what happens. You have wicked men that seek control and power, and this happened, and the kingdom was split in two. 
It's a fascinating story of leadership, of direction. Now, let me just say very quickly, because time is passing. This is happening in churches across America, across denominational lines. Young men are getting out of seminary. They've been taught you have to go in and do this, that, and the other. They go in many times because they don't tell the truth right up front, and they go in and feign that they are of one belief system. They go in, they get established, and then they reveal themselves for who they really are. This has happened all over America and split churches to the four winds. Then you've got men who are babies and they just get around other babies and they cannot take anything. I've never seen so much whining in all of my life. I have never seen so much mental weakness and emotional weakness. Now, listen, if you're going to be a pastor, you're going to be a preacher You need to understand that hardship is part of it. You're not popular. You're not going to be popular. People are going to mistreat you. They're going to talk about you. They're going to lie about you. They're going to try to destroy you. Why? Because you are the target of the enemy of our souls. And if you think that the Lord Jesus is going to die on a cross who was perfect, and they're going to lie about him, they're going to make up things about him, they're going to try to destroy him, they're going to beat him, spit on him, pull his beard out, make fun of him, and he was absolutely perfect, didn't deserve any of it. And you and I, who are sinful, who make all kinds of mistakes, moral mistakes, judgment mistakes, every kind of mistakes, and we're not going to be pelted. Look, we put stones in people's hands to stone us. I've done it over the decades. I, most of the, let me just say it this way. My greatest enemy is my own judgment, my own flesh, my own weaknesses, and not listening to the spirit of God, but wanting to do my own thing. Listen, if you're going to be in ministry, if you're going to be a teacher of a class, If you're going to do anything in Jesus' name, you're going to be persecuted. And so I would say you are either going to need to step up to the plate, get tough, get mentally tough, get spiritually tough, or you need to look at your calling because you may need to go do something else. And woe unto me if I do anything but preach the gospel. I cannot do anything else but what I do. That's where I stand. For On The Way, this is Tony Chris. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.